0: and welcome to episode 1367 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I am Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined by Ben Lundberg of The Ringer. Ben, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. Good. <laughs> Flawless intro, by yeah. anyway. on your first did, take. No did less. not
0: take, didn't take multiple tries at all.
1: <laughs> no, definitely not. Did great. <laughs> so we're doing emails today, but also banter. I guess the news of the day is Vlad, right? It's really the news of tomorrow because right. he will be promoted on Friday and make his Major League debut, but... That's exciting. The yeah. wait is finally over. We're about to be.
0: The wait is over. I have an I have an etiquette question for you that I have not prepared you for. Okay. Um, I am the reason that uh, we are going slightly out of sequence this week is that I am traveling to Arizona for a very dear friend's bachelorette party this weekend. I am mm-hmm. in her wedding, and uh, you know this 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 fun with Vlad. It's it starts tomorrow, oh, and yeah. I will be at That's a, a bachelorette party. And I am wondering if i watch this game on my phone am i like would she be allowed to kick me out of her wedding
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's probably too late right it's uh, a little too late to find a replacement true. although i guess uh, all her other friends and family will be around so this she <laughs> could just sub someone in but <sighs> is it a it's a night game so yeah yeah so that's a problem
0: yeah mm. But we're we're making dinner at the house that that we're uh, that we're renting for the weekend, the first night. So maybe I can uh, I can surreptitiously duck out for you know, a couple of choice at bats and then find my way back to the party.
1: Yeah, or you can just pull up the app if the app happens to be working and functioning at the time, and uh, you can follow it that way. I guess that's not quite as satisfying, but it's something. Mm. Given how long the wait has been, and given your profession and uh, your duties to fangraphs and baseball, I think it would be understandable if you just ducked out to see what Vlad was doing. Yeah. It's been so long in the making, and there's been so much bitterness associated with how long this has been in the making That it almost feels like now that he's actually here, it's like he could have been here before. We could have been watching him all this time, but it's still exciting. And if you look at the Fangraph's projections, I think the rest of season steamer ones, at least I just glanced at, he projects to be like the 11th or 12th best hitter in baseball, like today. (laughs) So if you believe that, that's pretty exciting.
0: Today. Literally yeah. just today. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I think that um, whenever a bat is described as messianic, as Vlad's <laughs> was by uh, Eric Longenhagen, that um, you're probably in pretty good shape. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I just can't wait.
1: Yeah. I think my favorite part of this whole thing is Vlad Sr.'s Twitter account. Yes. And just his very earnest and loving tweets about his son. It's just, uh, it's very sweet. He's just like, Tweeting news about Vlad Jr.'s call-up with like heart eyes emoji, mm-hmm. and let's see, he has one that says, "My son, the country that saw you as a child will now see you turn into a big one." <laughs> I don't know what kind of <laughs> a big one, but working hard, everything can be done. I'm proud of you, love you, heart, and it has the picture of them with young Vlad Senior and much younger Vlad Jr. sitting next to him. It's Very nice. It's uh, not many fathers or parents who get to see their children become big leaguers. And I like that. It's just like it just sounds like your typical little league dad who's just kind of clapping from the sidelines.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty endearing and I think you're right the earnestness of it is really what what does it cuz he knows, you know, he knows what that moment feels like. It's so unusual that, you know, a big leaguer's parent would would really know what that feels like when he takes the field for the first time. So, I think that it's this lovely. It's just lovely. It's so great. It would have been so great a couple of weeks ago, but I guess better <laughs> late than never.
1: Yep. <laughs> now we have reasons to watch the Blue Jays or at least one reason to watch the Blue Jays and yeah. uh, yeah uh-huh guess it'll be mike fires will be the first pitcher to face him i just got an email from some pr person which is the the bane of my existence mm-hmm. just constantly getting emails although you just tweeted about uh, liking <laughs> getting those because you can just delete them without looking at them which is true
0: there's a satisfaction to to just being able to know i don't have to engage with that at all
1: yeah the real satisfaction i always do because i'm just in this constant war where i'm trying to unsubscribe from these PR email lists That I don't know how I get on I, right. I, 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 like, I guess there's probably just Maybe they just buy like Media people's addresses and, In a group or something And then suddenly I'm I'm getting all kinds of alerts About things that I couldn't possibly care about And some of them do have Unsubscribe links at the bottom And it's always really satisfying To see you will not receive emails From this person again <laughs> Even though I don't know why I received that email And anyway right. Those are constantly piling up. I just got one. That is related to Vlad Jr. and says that his upcoming MLB debut against the A's is causing ticket prices to take a significant jump. Mm. Evidently, ticket prices are up by 58% for Vlad Jr.'s debut just overnight. So, wow. if you, you want to see Vlad Jr., go get your tickets. They're yeah. harder to come by than Ventures Ed game tickets, I guess, at this point.
0: Wow. That's, you know, it's almost as if when you put a good product on the field, people want to come and see it. Yep. <laughs> it's almost as if that's true.
1: Unsubscribe from that email. <laughs> yeah. ah, there we go. <laughs> so, what else is going on in baseball?
0: Uh, what else is going on in baseball? Um, the Phillies and the Mets are up mm. to some, some silliness. <laughs>
1: They sure are. Yeah, we got a a listener email about this, so I guess I'll just introduce this banter topic by getting this email out of the way. This is from Richard. He says, any thoughts on the Hoskins trot from last night? For context, Mets pitcher Jacob Rehm threw a ball over Reese Hoskins' head on Tuesday night. On Wednesday night, Hoskins faced him in the ninth inning and hit a dinger. He then proceeded to do a very slow trot around the bases, which was clocked as the slowest ever recorded, 34.2 seconds. The question is, is this better, worse, or equivalent to a bat flip? I feel like I can see the argument for any of these. For what it's worth, Raim's comment after the game was not inflammatory. He basically said it was his right to take as long as he wanted with the trot because if I make a better pitch, he doesn't get on base.
0: Yeah, so I am um, in favor of bat flips, and I'm kind of fine with this because I think that there should be—I typically don't like it when— Celebrations transition into making the guy who just did a goofy thing feel bad, right? When that's the motivation behind the celebration, because then it's, it's not a celebration. You're just kind of being a little jerk, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't like that, but I do think that shame is very powerful. And I think that if, uh, it, if hoskins assumed that this that these pitches around his head were in any way intentional and there had been some plunking in this series of hitters of various uh, teams so he he would perhaps be justified in thinking that it was a little bit of a like hey we're going to get you back too then i think it ends up being okay even though we found out I think pretty conclusively after this game that like this poor guy just like made a bad pitch maybe uh, and is fine with there being um, you know a a cessation of hostilities because I think that pitchers should not throw at batters it is very dangerous and I think that if a guy who has done that and you suspect it to be intentional even if it proves to be unintentional later uh, does something like that I think it's okay to be like well I gotcha See, Mm -hmm. this is what happens, I'm gonna get you. Even though it is, uh, if, if the circumstances were different and it were about that, and there had been no throwing, Around one's head, I would find it to be a little bit rude because it stops being about being joyful at this thing you've done that's very hard and starts being about being a little jerk. But I don't think that's what was the motivation here. So I'm fine with it and pleased to hear that, like, uh, they're just going to hopefully move on from this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, one would hope. I wasn't watching this game live. And so when I caught up, I had to read about the sequence of events that led to this. And it's just like a, a bottomless abyss of, like, one really. Silly unwritten yes. rules violation leading to another and then another and then another. So, trying to trace it all the way back here, I think how this started was there was a game where the Mets were up eight nothing. And Juan Ligaris was on first base and he was running on the play. And so that's a, a no-no, of course, because the, the Mets are already up 8 nothing at that point and, and Robinson Cano singled. And so Ligaris went from first to third. And so the Phillies were upset about that. And then they retaliated by throwing at Michael Conforto in the following at bat, which... I don't think they hit him, but the intent was kind of clear. But then the Mets (laughs) retaliated for that. That was Jacob Rame throwing at Hoskins. And he threw two pitches that I don't think he should have thrown at Hoskins because these were kind of dangerous-looking pitches. One was behind him and kind of like head level. That's where hitters really hate to have the ball go, much more so than getting plunked on the butt or the thigh or something. It's pretty dangerous. And then Hoskins looked upset and then there was another pitch that was more over the plate but also high and Hoskins kind of looked like he was considering making something of it and then he was just jawing at the catcher and ultimately he went to first base and then he got his sweet revenge by hitting a big giant dinger against Raim. and that is probably the sweetest revenge that you can sure. possibly get much more so than charging the mound or yelling at the guy or whatever you want to do and he took his time he took more time than anyone else's ever taken evidently to round the bases and I applaud him for that action all the stuff that led up to that was very dumb very but dumb. <laughs> but i think that was a good way to handle it like no one got hurt maybe this ends it all i don't know whether some other mets reliever will now take it upon himself to carry this into their next matchup but maybe this is it and it's a non-violent peaceful resolution there was like a, a very half-hearted bench clearing when Raim threw at hoskins and guys were just kind of like milling about just barely on the field but it, it didn't go any further than that and i think that's a good thing and what could be better really than stretching out the pitcher's shame about having just a allowed a loud, long home run i think this is a good way to handle it
0: yeah i think it, it it's the baseball equivalent of just landing like that perfect that perfect zinger that perfect yes. comeback so i i think that this is fine and now they can be done mm-hmm. And we have shown throughout baseball history that baseball men are very good about letting things go. And so I'm (laughs) sure there will be no further problems. But it does seem that this one, uh, at least in terms of the parties directly involved, can sort of be finished now. And so there should be a conversation in the clubhouse about how, like, all the guys who had an emotional investment in this moment are satisfied with the conclusion. They've Mm -hmm. said what they needed to. And now we can move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, I'm sure Rob Manfred somewhere is instituting a rule about home run trots that take longer than 30 seconds and putting a a home run trot clock somewhere in, in the rules, but... I think this is good. It's kind of like in the outro to our last episode, I mentioned something that one of our listeners suggested in the Facebook group, which is if you get plunked after bat flipping, then you just bat flip the hit by pitch. I love this idea. (laughs) Yeah, which someone actually suggested in your Fangraphs chat this week. So I don't know if that person heard it there or came up with it on their own, but I like that idea too. That's just, uh, it's like, no, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to escalate it. But I'm just going to establish that this behavior is acceptable and you're stuck with it.
0: Right. Yes. I'm going to say my piece, but my piece will not involve throwing anything at you. And then we can all move on.
1: (laughs) Right. So the other controversial thing that happened on Wednesday, and this is another thing that we got an email about, in this case from Mitch, who is one of our Patreon supporters. So, This is a a replay review that happened in the Yankees-Angels game on Tyler Wade, and I will read what Mitch says here. A call went against my favorite team has got to be the worst, least sympathetic complaint possible in baseball, especially coming from a Yankees fan. But something just happened in Anaheim that I generally think might overcome that barrier and make for some decent banter. The Angels just pulled off a hidden ball trick, quote unquote, against the Yankees because replay was able to catch the microsecond after the play had fundamentally concluded wherein Andrelton Simmons might have been touching Tyler Wade's back while Wade shifted his weight from one foot to the other and came marginally off the bag, This has got to be the worst use of replay ever, right? It's not trying to get a play right. It's not checking a home run. It's just snipping the right camera frames to manufacture an out from nothing. So there was a long replay review on this play, and ultimately Wade was ruled out completing a double play that started with a really nice Mike Trout catch and then ended with this very anticlimactic replay review where it was determined by the officials in New York that Tyler Wade just in the process of of shifting his weight was not entirely in contact with the bag while Andrelton Simmons was touching him with the ball, and so he was out. So what do you think of this use of replay?
0: So I generally hate it. But In in general, it is my least favorite genre of replay review. I like that... uh, like replay exists. I think it is important that replay exists. I think that, given what we are able to see, uh, on replays on broadcasts in particular, it is important that we have replay. Agree. This is not what anyone envisioned when they thought of replay, and so I think that it's I think that it's tricksy in a way that it, like you know Mitch said isn't isn't fun. This isn't getting a call right. This is. You know, rooting around for an out where we just didn't think outs existed there before. Throughout baseball's history, really, there's no outs to be had there, and now we know there are, and so teams are automatically and necessarily going to look for them, and I get that impulse, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But I have a butt.
1: <laughs> oh, there's a but, okay.
0: I really, so there's an angle of this replay where you can see Simmons, see that his foot has come off the bag, and know to tag him. And so I am actually okay with this specific one Mm. because I do think that there was like, you know, there's like a little bit of skill here. This is mm-hmm. him being aware of what's going on on the field around him and engaging with it and like being like I can go grab this out, I can go find it. You know, it's not like when a guy slides in to second and comes off the bag and it's just that the you know the second baseman has maintained the tag uh, and so then a guy is out. So I don't like it generally, but I think I'm okay with this one in particular because there's a little more action and skill to it, even though it's very small for just a second. And he's probably only looking for this because he knows that replay exists right like Simmons yeah. from 10 years ago probably doesn't look to do that maybe at least not as consistently because he you know replay doesn't exist so I will I will admit the influence of replay in this moment but I think I'm okay with this particular one
1: Yeah I think it makes sense to draw a distinction between this play and the momentum play that we often bemoan where it's just a guy is sliding in and because physics works the way it does and baseball players are big and they're running fast and they just happen to extend a little bit beyond the bag and sure there is technique to sliding and you could say that there's a skill to not coming off the bag and making sure you don't do that that's true but I think if you are above the bag as you are getting tagged it's like the I think Dave Cameron wrote about this for FanCrafts at some point made a proposal that essentially like the airspace above the bag itself like once you make contact with the bag if you get tagged above that airspace like in the air above the bag after you have slid over it if you're just kind of like taken off the bag by your momentum that that just shouldn't count that you should just have like a a free space when you slide in there and i think that's probably right in this case though i mean you could say that wade was a little too nonchalant like this was Not an unforced error. He did do this. You know, he said, I think after the game, he said, I've got to be smarter than that. Maybe he's just trying to be a stand-up guy and not whine about replay. But there is, I guess, some fault. Like, you do have to be aware of where the fielders are and where the ball is and make sure you're actually touching the bag. And it's the sort of thing, like, without replay, I'm sure he would have been ruled safe and it just wouldn't even be a consideration. And so... This wasn't what Replay was designed to do, but like you, I do find this a little bit less objectionable than I do that other type of play.
0: And I, I did I did feel very badly for him though because you know he's uh he's a guy who's getting an opportunity mostly because of the entire Yankees roster being composed of ghosts. Yep. And so you you always feel bad for guys like that when they have little mental mistakes like this cuz you know that their opportunity might not be as you know secure as other as other players opportunities are. So you do feel badly for him and I I just that particular kind of like little shifting from foot to foot like i do that when i'm if i'm like at a game and you know it's a minor league game and there aren't bleachers like i do that
1: so i was just like (laughs) trying to tag you yeah exactly have an excuse
0: yeah they're gonna they're gonna get me so i um i i felt badly for him but didn't they end up winning that game
1: yeah, and I believe he ended up scoring the winning run. So so, so
0: he's fine. He, yeah. He's doing great. Everyone's everyone's fine, and we can just appreciate—that allows us to just appreciate uh, Andrelson Simmons, which we, mm-hmm. we always enjoy doing. Uh, it was, you know, a pretty heads-up little little move he had there. That part's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. I saw this little exchange in the replies to the official MLB account's tweet about this play with the video. So— Let me just read this exchange. It involves a a few different people, one of whom is an Angels fan. So one guy says his foot was still on the bag. The other guy says, nope, he raised it for a half second when he was tagged. Then someone else comes in and says, imagine using replay on a hidden ball trick because you're 2-8 and in the last 10. So he is uh, bitter, I guess, about this. And then an Angels fan comes in and says, imagine never winning a World Series. Oh, wait, because I think the the previous person was a Mariners fan. Sorry. Oh, (laughs) jeez. So then the Mariners fan, I think I'm losing track of the people, says, imagine wasting Mike Trout's career. (laughs) 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 Then the Angels fan comes back with, at least we get to. Wink face emoji. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible comeback. At least we get to F <laughs> he's that gloating is... about getting to waste <laughs> Mike Trout's career. That so is he's... the
0: most dramatic <laughs> cell phone I've
1: ever heard in my it life. Really is. That is
0: the worst one.
1: <laughs> he's gloating about getting to watch Mike Trout, I guess, which is true, but does it make up for being bad all the time? I don't, oh, probably not. No. no yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, I have to say he 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 I'm assuming it's a he it's Tour. <laughs> uh deser, <laughs> deserves what he gets there cuz like uh, to go from talking about that play to immediately bringing in the World Series, you've <laughs> you've escalated dramatically, and so now all bets are off.
1: Yeah, no, that is a, a terrible comeback, and he should be ashamed. All right. <laughs> yes.
0: Can we stay in Angels land for a second, though? Yeah, please. Just Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I, that game was, those games have been the late games on uh, Mm -hmm. the last couple of days. So I've been thinking about the Angels. And I regret to inform the collective that while uh, Cole Calhoun is off to a better start than his start last year, he's (laughs) still not doing very well. Mm -hmm. So that's sad. It's got negative war right now. Although, you know, some of that is like early, small sample defense stuff. But, um, just a 78 WRC+. plus Does have five home runs, though, because that is what baseball is in 2019. So right. that thing happened. And then can I talk about the Mike Trout thing that happened yes. the other night? Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, I tweeted about this, and I'm going to do that annoying thing where I talk about a tweet of mine. But... <laughs> There was a moment in uh, Mike Trout's game on the twenty third where and I believe that this ended up being a, a flyout for him uh, at the end of the played appearance where, or the iPad, but I can't I can't quite recall if it was that one or if he ended up walking. But anyhow, the I was watching the Yankees broadcast of this game and the yes booth noted after Mike Trout had fouled off what they thought was a hittable pitch that if he was hundred percent locked in, he wouldn't have done that. And then it made me well first my reaction was, well that's very silly to say because through the twenty third, Mike Trout has like a had a two oh eight WRC plus and uh, was walking 26% of the time and only striking out 12% of the time. So that's I think that's pretty locked in. If I were going to describe locked in, I would look at Mike Trout and be like, hey, here's this guy uh, yep. who's pretty locked in. But then it made me think, uh, and we have maybe entertained to this idea before, I was like, what if Mike Trout is not a reliable narrator <laughs> and is actually not 100% locked in, is perhaps holding back? and is not reaching his full potential. And so it makes me wonder if that were true, if my crazy hypothetical were true, because I wanted to come up with a Mike Trout hypothetical that was not about us making the best baseball player any of us will ever watch in our lifetime worse, which is mm-hmm. what we always do with Mike Trout hypotheticals, which I find to be a very strange but very human impulse. Uh, and so I'm wondering what What if this is not the best version of Mike Trout, and if he is consciously holding back that version, what would be the optimal time for him to reveal the actual best version? Do you wait until you're back in the postseason, or do you, perhaps fearing that you will not get there, reveal it sooner at a different time?
1: I think you wait until the Angels are good again, because I don't think anything Mike Trout can do can make the Angels good again on on its own. I think he has done all he can on that score, and it just hasn't generally been enough. I mean... This hypothetical isn't so far from the reality of Mike Trout, because he does keep (laughs) appearing to get better every year, and whatever he's not so great at one year, he then decides to be better at, and just instantly is. Like, last year, his improvement, he came into the year wanting to be better at defense, and then... He just was. And it seemed like the only thing that was different was that he was just willing himself to be better. Like that was literally it. Like he was practicing more. He was kind of running faster in the outfield. It was just kind of a conscious decision on his part. So that kind of. Is almost what happens I mean that's kind of the amazing thing about him Mm -hmm. I think is is that he does Keep finding new and different Levels so I don't know If it's an effort thing Or whether it's an experience thing Or what but I think He has many layers and he has not Shown them to us yet
0: I just have this vision of him like Scooby-Doo villain Style pulling off a mask revealing An identical (laughs) Mike Trout beneath it being like (laughs) Ha! Me all along, Still the Player in baseball, but better,
1: <laughs> but even better. Yeah, all right. I've got a question from James. Uh, you wanted to get to this one. James asks If MLB umpires currently make 14 incorrect ball strike calls a game on average, how many do you think they would make if the hitter and catcher were both transparent and there was nothing blocking the view that the umpire had of the ball crossing the plate?
0: So I wanted to talk about this because mostly I find the question very funny because it, it, makes a, it, it either is making a very sort of sassy assumption or makes no sense at all. And I don't know that it helps either way because I think that if you were suddenly encountering transparent people, you would not do better at your job. I think that you would be very uncomfortable being able to see the insides of people. Yes, Uh, And so you would probably call more um, balls and strikes incorrectly than you did before. But here's my question about James's question. Are we to assume that they are not only transparent but also naked? (laughs) 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 Because in order for the transparency, assuming you could get over the like, you know, Cronenberg body horror of suddenly seeing the insides of people while they're walking around... They're still wearing uniforms, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I was picturing it as like a like a floating kind of not quite as opaque as an actual person, but still looking like an actual person, but you can see the ball through them.
0: So, so sort of jellyfish like?
1: Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. That's what I had in mind.
0: I don't know that it would, okay, so let's just, let's take that um, less salacious version <laughs> of this question to heart and just assume that that's what James meant. And James, I am sorry for goofing on you, but it just, it struck me as very funny and it made me laugh when I received it. So I wanted to share that laughter. I don't think that it would, I don't know how much it would really help
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I think that. Some of this is framing, right? And not being able to see perfectly, but you're still, I think that you would still have like visual acuity issues. And I think that you would still have guys get kind of fooled a little bit by good framing, even if the, because the really good framers, like that glove motion is subtle. And so I still don't think, I I don't think that it would help a ton. I think you'd probably get a couple more right than wrong but I don't think that it would help unless they were truly transparent and also (laughs) naked
1: Yeah. I don't know. I'm picturing them as like Jacob and Robert Marley from the, the oh, Muppet, sure. Muppet Christmas Carol. I don't know. That it's less distracting if you can't see their innards. So uh, Right.
0: That's the other thing. You're still blocked you're still blocked by by yeah. their guts and stuff, right? It's right. not as if they suddenly stop having organs, <laughs> like vital organs. <laughs>
1: If they just weren't there at all, if it were just you calling the pitches and and no one standing there at all, well, I mean, I guess you couldn't really do that because you need to see where the top and the bottom of the zone is at least. You wouldn't have
0: the – but if you had (laughs) – I'm so glad that I made you spend time on this. If you had like floating (laughs) bars that illustrated the top and bottom of the zone, I think you know if there was nothing in the way that you probably call – I mean, umpires still get – a shocking percentage of calls correct now Mm -hmm. with You know obstructions and framing And all kinds of and the speed of pitches and all kinds Of stuff I mean we we like to Goof on umpires because sometimes They do their jobs very poorly But they really do their jobs very Very well um, considering How hard it is especially so I think that you would you would get a lot of Calls right but I think the 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 people Watching would not care because They would so be distracted by these transparent People (laughs) on
1: the field (laughs) Right. So Yeah or maybe it's like You know how the like the K-zone is superimposed mm-hmm. on, on the screen when you're watching. So maybe it's like the the hitter and the catcher also have the visual quality of the K-Zone. Sure. So I don't know. I think that it, it probably wouldn't affect things much just because I think if the umpire is properly positioned in the slot, I think umpires are generally pretty good about not letting things right. get in their way. That's like their whole job back right. there. So I'm sure there are some extremes of like, tall catcher and short umpire that make things kind of difficult but for the most part now maybe you're getting like a slightly off-center view because right. you're looking over the catcher's shoulder so right.
0: you're move you're sli- you're sliding over so that you can get a view right. of, of where he's receiving yeah
1: yeah so maybe that distorts things a little bit and maybe if you don't have to do that if you can just stand directly behind the catcher and the plate because you can look through the catcher then maybe you get a slightly more accurate perspective on pitches on the corners or something but yeah for the most part I think the limiting factor when it comes to umpire accuracy is just that pitches go really fast and yeah. the ball is moving around a lot and it is hard to see so yeah. whether or not the figures are transparent so alright question from sad Rangers fan Jenny her Aww. description of herself not mine if you were you But with the talent to be a major leaguer, what type of player would you be? For example, what I would like to be is a defensively excellent third baseman who can hit okay, but I'd more likely be a hard-throwing but sometimes wild relief pitcher who can have great streaks but who can get very emotional in a bad outing.
0: I feel like Jenny and I would get along. <laughs> I guess I can give my answer to this question because I thought about it. I like baseball. Like one aesthetic of baseball that I like very much is when the results that a player gets are somewhat incongruous with – um With what their physical form would suggest they are. So like Mm -hmm. part of why I love Jose Altuve is that it's like really cool that someone Jose Altuve size who is he is my size. I mean, he is listed as taller than me, but that is a lie. I have seen him on the field. He is my size. So he is not tall and he is able to send the ball very, very far with a, with regularity. And so part of why he is such a joy is that it feels incongruous. And so we delight in in the way that that all mashes together. So I think that if I were picking, I would want to be a player in, in maybe that Altuvian mold where I have surprising power for someone my size, or alternatively, a very hard throwing reliever, uh, because people will also look at me and be like, oh, that's very surprising that this, you know, not tall person can throw so hard, so I think that would be my answer, and i I would probably not get angry at bad outings, but I think that I would make a lot of very sad faces that um <laughs> someone like me in my seat would make fun of on the internet, and that would feel like justice, right that would just feel like the, the karma that I am due, yeah, and things. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I'd want to be a reliever too. It just, it seems like a lighter work schedule. I mean, you don't have to work every day. You You—you have to work unpredictably and you don't really know when you have the day off, but right. just kind of sitting in the bullpen and chatting with your friends seems like a good time. Seems like a, a lot of good stories happen in the bullpen. You make good friendships there. And you just don't have to work as much. I think it is unpleasant probably to fail as a reliever because the spotlight is on you at all times. And if you're bad, you don't know when you'll be able to come back and be good. And you just don't get as much work. So if you only throw 10 pitches or something and half of them are bad, that just probably leaves you feeling pretty bummed out after the outing. But I don't even really want to be a good player in this scenario. Like... (laughs) I don't even, I I don't, it's so foreign to me to aspire to athletic accomplishment. Right. like I like playing sports and playing with my friends and stuff, but even then it's just kind of a casual recreational thing. And when people get too serious about actually winning or not, then that turns me off. So if I were a baseball player, I'd want to be good enough to justify my presence there. I wouldn't want to be like a a sub-replacement level person who people were criticizing for even being on the roster. But I think more than actually being good at baseball, I'd want to be like the the cool baseball player who like gets along with writers and stuff, which uh, is probably like a failure of imagination on on my part because I'm imagining like me but in a baseball clubhouse and so – I would want to be like the the Brendan McCarthy kind of player who's like oh he's a baseball player but he's just like us and <laughs> he does good tweets and like you can go get a good post game quote from him and he gets along well with the writers <laughs> and stuff which oh man I I need to set my sights higher I think but but that's kind of what I I, w- I would want to be the guy like Like occasionally we come across a a player who's like a really good writer or something, and it's like, oh, wow, like this guy is not only an elite athlete, but does my job really well. And if he weren't such a a good athlete, he could probably just take my job and be better at it. So I think I would want to be the baseball player who's good enough to be a big league baseball player, but like also has other skills that would make me respected by non-jocks, I guess, who would be like, oh, wow, he's just like us, except better at baseball. So that's Uh what I want.
0: I think that aspiring to be a very affable version of someone is is a night that's nice that's nice Ben that's nice of you i like that okay. it's charming <laughs>
1: yeah i want to be the the go-to guy that you yeah. go through for the the post-game quip or something and and i would pride myself on not resorting to clichés although i probably would because it is terrible to be interviewed constantly oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh, i pity all players who have to talk to us but I would try my best to give interesting answers I want to be like the I mean you can be good and also be that guy because yeah. you can be Joey Votto who is sure. funny and engaging and always has interesting things to say but has also been one of the very best players in baseball so I guess that would be good too being cerebral and good yeah it's not not mutually exclusive
0: so if you're in the reliever mold you, you would fashion yourself as maybe like uh, well especially with the, the Star Wars stuff and the video game stuff like you yeah. you aspire to be like a Sean Doolittle you'd be yeah. you would want to be doolittle that's hard to say I don't know <laughs> if I got that right at all yeah uh, yeah like so that an editor says hey I think one way that we could make this uh, piece about a baseball player interesting is if you went and played video games with that guy and you'd be that right. guy
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'd be the, the go-to cool baseball player for non-baseball players to hang out with. That would be my job. I would bridge the gap in the clubhouse. I'd be like the, the safe guy that all the nerds who are uncomfortable in the clubhouse could go feel like they could talk to.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's good.
1: (laughs) No one else would feel this way. I don't think everyone else is like, I'd want to be really good and make lots of money and uh, (laughs) be famous. And yeah, I don't know. I'd also want to like hang around for a long time too. I'd like being like the grizzled vet who just like keeps getting jobs and looks too old to be a baseball player, but is one anyway. That'd be fun.
0: Yeah, that sounds great.
1: Yeah. All right. Question from... David, inspired by the recent question about distributing 35 wins above replacement across a team, I was wondering if the baseball gods came to you, a very good teenage baseball player, and said that you would be worth 50 WAR in your MLB career, but it was up to you to decide how you distribute the wins. And after you decided, your memory of the decision would be wiped, Men in Black style. How would you distribute 50 wins above replacement over your baseball career?
0: I guess this kind of depends on what your your professional like what do you want to what do you want to accomplish in the course of your career okay. um, I suppose if you were looking to if you're looking to say maximize your earnings yeah you would want to have a couple of early promising seasons and then like maybe two really good seasons as you're going through arbitration so that when you're about to hit free agency you have like a track record of improving over time and also demonstrated like maybe all-star level production so that you could get a big deal, maybe. Yeah. Um, because you could you could front load all of that and then be bad after you got the deal, but then your work life is gonna be terrible and people are going to be calling on you to retire early and they're gonna compare you to Pool Pujols but not the good Pujols and you're gonna feel <laughs> badly about yourself and you won't know that you made that choice to get a big contract, so you'll just think that like you're bad now So, you won't even be conscious of the strategy of the decision. So, I think that that would probably be my preference. Plus, then you're, you know, you have good peak years and hopefully could like go win a World Series. So, you can check that off your list. I think that would be my preference because feeling bad at your job every day is like one of the most demoralizing things that can happen to a person that doesn't involve like illness. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I think that that would be my answer.
1: Yeah, this reminds me of a discussion Sam and I had on episode 1184, I think it was, where we talked about how you would want to distribute your team's World Series wins. Like if you knew you were going to get a a certain amount of championships from your favorite team in your lifetime, would you want that to be when you were a kid or when you were old or middle age or or what would be the the optimal way to distribute those things? And don't remember what we said because that was (laughs) a long time ago, but... If you're a 50 war player, you're solidly Hall of Very Good right. caliber player. You're like, you know, a couple good years away from having a real Hall of Fame case. I mean, there are players with 50 war or fewer in the Hall of Fame, so you could be one. I guess if you wanted to like maximize your chances of making the Hall of Fame, then maybe you would want to have just a really high peak, mm-hmm. but a short career. That's kind of what it comes down to Like if you want to be remembered As like a legend of baseball Then you want to be like Mike Trout for like Six years or something and that's it That's it's like Trout's like Last whatever six seasons Or something just imagine that you Were your whole career Now that would probably entail like a Career ending injury or or illness Or something and that would be unpleasant But like even if you had Like a a Dale Murphy-esque kind of career where you just got old early and uh, you had a Hall of Fame peak but just didn't pad your stats. I mean, that would be pretty good because then you are remembered, like, how many war does uh, does Dale Murphy, he must be in this range, right? Let's see.
0: Let's see. Dale Murphy has, by our war, Dale Murphy had 44.3 war over the course of his career. Is that right? Yep. Yeah.
1: All right. So he's he's roughly in this range, and yeah. uh, I'm thinking of someone like, gosh, I don't know. Langford isn't even quite this good, and he's more of like a forty-war guy, I think. But, but someone like that who is consistently good, but didn't have as many star level seasons. Like, right. I, I think i think I'd, I'd either rather be the guy who just. Burned very bright for a fairly short period of time and had a Hall of Fame peak and was one of the very best players in baseball for that short period, maybe picked up an MVP award or something. like. If you just want to be remembered, that is probably the best way to do it. On the other hand, what if you just really like playing baseball and you just really like being a big league player and you want that to last as long as possible? In which case, maybe you just want to stretch this out into like a, an Omar Vizquel-type career. I mm-hmm. mean, Vizquel is uh, in that Dale Murphy-type war range, not quite 50, but 40-something. And he played for 25 years or whatever and, and just got to play baseball well into his 40s. So if I really liked baseball— then I guess I would want to devote a greater percentage of my life to doing the thing that I like, even if I'm not as great at it at any one time. So I guess I'd take like being an average player for a quarter of a century or something. That'd be pretty nice.
0: Especially if you are also the guy in the clubhouse that all the nerds go talk to. Exactly. Because then you can have a nice long career and then at the end of it, you know, you could go you could go write uh, for someone or work in a front office and you'll have yes. all these friends from the game because you're the affable guy who played yes. video games and was intellectual. I think that uh, we're learning a lot about you, Ben. I know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> these answers are sort of the same, I guess. But yeah, and I want to be the guy who's like, the last active player from that decade to still be in the game. He's, like, the only one who remembers baseball at that time. And he's, like... Also, the guy who makes the most fans feel good about themselves because he is older than they are. Right. That is a, a valuable service for yeah. a player to provide, just making people feel less old because there is a big league older than they are. Yep. So that's nice. And also you get to be a, a source of fun facts. Like you can be the guy who like links some player from decades earlier with some player from decades later. And it's like, what? That guy was on teams with both of those guys? That's crazy and you get to be that kind of guy who it's like the first hitter you faced was like Hank Aaron or something and then like the last hitter you faced was like Mike Trout or something I'm probably (laughs) exaggerating the span there but you know what I mean there are people like that like the Jamie Moyer type career where it's like you can't believe that this guy spanned both of those careers so that would be nice too.
0: And that's a much more fun version of the guy who would also, you know, provide a fair number of fun facts, I would imagine. But, you know, maybe if he has fifty war, forty of those are in the first couple years (laughs) and he gets a big deal and then he's only worth he keeps playing, but he's worth like one win a year. And you're like, Oh, that guy, what happened to him? People would (laughs) people would worry about you. People would wonder what had happened to you.
1: Yeah, or could you turn into, well, how about like Jason Giambi? Jason Giambi, I'm on his baseball reference page right now, 50.5 war, so he's right on on the dot here. He played for 20 seasons. He was an MVP and an MVP runner-up. And then he had that phase at the end of his career with, like, the Rockies and and Cleveland where he just played, like, 60 games a year or something. And sometimes he kind of hit and sometimes he didn't really hit, but he was just, like, the the clubhouse mentor type. Like, I don't know that I have it in me to be the clubhouse mentor veteran leader type. I don't know if I have enough, like, team spirit, but if I did, that'd be a good role where you get, like— the best of both worlds you get to be a star at the top of the game and then you also get to be the role player who just kind of takes it easy and dispenses advice and gets a graying beard that'd be kind of nice too
0: yeah and you know someone some some little jerk like me would screenshot you with like an all-white beard and be like (laughs) oh my god look at this
1: make some dumb joke yeah Sorry, um, Denard Span. <laughs>
0: we well, we thought that, that was majestic. Does Denard Span <laughs> have a job right now? Oh, now, uh, we're, now we're going to bummer territory. If, if someone had told me they would give me a million dollars if I knew that uh, Jason Giambi had 70 plate appearances with Cleveland in 2014, <laughs> I would not have a million dollars.
1: At age 43. I would yeah. be like,
0: no, he did not. Surely you're surely you joke. I remember him going I remember that year with where he you know was back with Oakland for For a little bit and then was with Colorado I remember that and then Mm -hmm. I think we got into the financial crisis and I have some gaps in my (laughs) baseball memory as a result of that. And so yeah, I would be I would not have a million dollars because I would have told you that he was done playing in like After that after that first year where he was in Colorado. I just maybe did not remember
1: probably should have been done playing yeah. <laughs> after it didn't go well. Uh, his last 3 years he hit 185. He still took his walks, but yeah. yeah, not so great, but the the clubhouse leadership was off the charts. So, and that was nice because if you hang around that long, you also get to be perceived very differently. Like right. like Jason Chiambi was like part of this wild bunch and this like sweaty long-haired type guy <laughs> With the A's and this like wild child. And then he went to become a corporate Yankee for a while. And then there was like steroid stuff and pituitary tumors and like weird detours that his career took but yeah. then he resurrected himself as this like old mentor leader just dispensing wisdom which I don't think anyone would have imagined for him <laughs> like 20 years before so that's kind of cool too when you can be both of those things like I'm really looking forward to like the Adrian Beltray phase of Yasiel Puig's career where oh, he is man. just like the clubhouse leader who is uh teaching all the, the kids the right way to play the game I think that's coming. So
0: oh, that's going to be great. And I would like to be, I'd like to be someone, you know, who can, who can like, I like that the, the general consensus is that like young guys shouldn't be given a terrible time in clubhouses mm-hmm. now. And I feel like we've really seen a sea change around the vibe with that. And, you know, especially cause the league is getting younger. So you kind of can't be right. a jerk to like the best player on your team for very long without it being really weird. But I, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to be an enforcer of like that culture that we're not going to, you know, give these these young kids such a hard time. So like that would be, you'd feel yeah. like you were doing some good, right? Like an
1: anti-hazing force yeah. for good. Like, yeah. no, you don't need to wear that pink backpack or right. this dress or whatever right. archaic <laughs> convention is the rookie right. hazing. Yeah, that's a good, good point. All right. I think we learned a lot about ourselves in <laughs> these answers. Um, so now we have to talk about Cameo. Oh my God. Your new favorite website. I've never <laughs> so. loved anything as much as I love this. I so. was having a weird day, and now my day is better. KCJ has drawn our attention to the website Cameo, and... I was familiar with Cameo, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's a a website where celebrities of all sorts and of all degrees of celebrity, from (laughs) who's that guy to, wow, that person's actually famous and shouldn't even be on this website. But it's a place where celebrities can sign up and essentially sell themselves to fans who pay a preset amount of money to get a video message recorded by that celebrity. So if you want to wish your kid a happy birthday or something and your kid has a favorite actor, or reality star, or musician, or athlete, then you can pay the price that that person sets, and they will read a script, or they will follow some general instructions and say, hey, happy birthday, buddy, or whatever. So this website is a lot of fun to browse because you can see this selection, this odd assortment of celebrities from all walks of life, and also how they value themselves and Mm -hmm. what dollar amount they put on their time. So Casey, he wanted us to do like a a cameo draft of baseball players or just ask like, why do guys do this? And how many videos do you need to record to actually make this worth your while? And I will say that the selection of baseball personages on Cameo is pretty thin. So there are, as we speak, 1,399 athletes, loosely defined athletes on Cameo. And 59 of them are baseball people. Not even all players, not all active players, some retired players, some like TV anchors and like sideline hosts and and people like that who are related to baseball but not actual baseball players. But there are some real baseball people and they range from like actual legends to players so obscure you've never heard of them because they're still in the low minor leagues. So... What stands out to you about the baseball selection on Cameo?
0: I'm hesitant to say all the things because I wonder if I (laughs) should just write this. Yeah. But I will I will share a couple that stand out to me. First of all, Dan Straley's picture is just like an emoji of him. It is not his actual <laughs> picture. I find that very funny. I think that it is quite funny that Ben Verlander is on here. Yes. Uh, you can get a, a message from Ben for $15. I would like to know how many uh, like <laughs> parents of baseball fan children who are not themselves baseball fans accidentally get Ben Verlander to record a birthday message for their baseball obsessed child because yes. they don't know it's not Justin. It must I want be
1: the majority of
0: overwhelming of, majority.
1: <laughs> absolutely. I mean Ben Verlander what he was what a former Tigers fourteenth round pick, yeah. who I, I believe is not playing baseball professionally anymore. So could be true. He is on here, and I, I can't imagine that—I mean, I'm sure there are some Ben Verlander fans out sure. there, but but many of them must be thinking, wow, what a steal, because it's Ben Verlander wearing a, a Tigers uniform. So if you were a Justin Verlander fan and were not paying close attention, you might think, this is Justin, and wow, what a, a great deal, $15 for Justin Verlander, but it is not— I. Is that? I wonder if that is a, a humbling experience for him to be constantly receiving requests for for Justin to do things. And then, the funny thing about this is that you can see on the site like a few recent videos that these people have made, like actual examples of the cameos that they have created. So you can just watch and and see how their delivery is and whether they're half-assing this or not. And so. There are a few actual Ben Verlander videos there that you can watch. So it's not like everyone's requesting one and then asking for a refund when they realize they made a mistake. So, right. yeah, I don't know. Hope he's making a lot of money on this.
0: Uh, $15. Uh, I, will, I will say um, Jose Canseco is on here.
1: Yes, of course. Very, <sighs> very predictably. That if there's a way to make money, <laughs> Jose Canseco is in on it.
0: And I, he, he recorded a a. a A congratulatory message to the Redding bullies who are a lacrosse team of some level, I think probably like high school, and I swear I am 99% sure that he is flexing one peck in this video but not the other (laughs) because it just keeps throbbing (laughs) a little bit. So that exists, and I encourage all of you to stop doing your jobs for the rest of the day and just watch that over and over and over. Um, yeah. The example text for Jose Canseco, because you, you can you can do the videos for someone else or for yourself, mm-hmm. which is delightful. <laughs> and the they give you sample text, right? So for Jose Canseco, my instructions for Jose Canseco are, hey, my bro Brad and I... <laughs> Chad, love your stuff. Can you say what up to Brad and tell him to keep his antlers long? Thanks, bro. I don't (laughs) know. I don't know. First of all, could not imagine two names of people more likely to say bro twice in a message than Brad and Chad. Chad. So, nailed it. And Mm -hmm. what? I feel like that is probably an allusion to an inside joke that if we picked at, we would be very nervous. Maybe. So
1: occasionally, uh, one reason that this site makes news sometimes is that famous people will be duped into saying something truly terrible <gasps> oh, <laughs> because no. because they don't realize. So you you get like I think Brett Favre was convinced to say some like nationalistic slogan or something because he oh, just no. did not know what he was being asked to say. So that happens. Every now and then Please don't do that to poor unsuspecting celebrities But that I, I think the baseball it, It's a pretty wide range it, it ranges from Roger Clemens Who charges $500 for a cameo To Chris Vial, I guess it would be Who charges $5 And may oh, possibly be overpriced <laughs> Nick Vial is a, a Mets minor leaguer In A-ball who currently has a 5.63 ERA, but in only seven games out of the bullpen. So anyway, good for Chris Vial, I guess, for, for making that money. But there is a very broad range here, even if it's not a wide selection of players. Is there anyone who stands out to you as like, either overpricing themselves or underpricing themselves by a notable amount, just just given what seems to be the going rate here for baseball celebrities.
0: Well, I've accidentally clicked on the animals subthread, so now I'm very <laughs> distracted by that. But here we are. We're going to navigate back. So it strikes me that... I want to know who wants to pay $200 to have Kevin Pillar wish their family member a a happy birthday. Yes. That seems wrong. Johnny (sighs) Damon at $100 seems too low to me.
1: Yeah. If anyone's going to give you a good message, it would be Johnny Damon, right? He's going to give you your money's worth, I would think.
0: I would think so. Gosh, who else on here seems underpriced?
1: That's what's – because Kevin Pillar is the second highest priced person on here at $200. I I can't imagine like if you click on his page there are actual example videos so evidently someone has decided to pay Kevin Pillar $200 for videos where he seems to be like sitting shirtless in bed and recording this from the like the shoulders (laughs) up and he's got good facial hair but yeah like Kevin Pilar $200 I, I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, that seems wrong. I like that Lance McCullers Jr. priced himself at 99. Yes. Presumably to appear like a bargain compared to the (laughs) likes of, well, Johnny Damon and Derek Holland. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: Derek Holland at 100. Yeah. yeah.
0: And Mm -hmm. Whit Merrifield. Sorry, Whit. Uh, so that, that one made me laugh. That one made yeah. me laugh.
1: McCullers is the only one who is not pricing himself at an increment of five. So that tells me he is taking this seriously. He is really pricing himself to sell here. And, yeah, I like Carlos Pena at 75, I bet yeah. he would give you a good message. I'd want a message from Carlos yeah. Pena, I think. Seems like a stand-up guy. Ozzy Guillen at yeah. 50. He's going to give you a good value yeah. for 50, I would think but it's just a very random assortment of other, like Orlando Hudson for $25, O-Dog for 25 That's not yeah. bad.
0: Cole Tucker, $20. Can sure. did get him on the come up. Yeah. Uh, uh, have you Have you looked at any of these other categories? I don't want to make this not <laughs> about baseball for a hot second, but I'm going to make it not about baseball for a second. Yeah, have go you ahead. looked at the uh, Game of Thrones category here?
1: No, I have not.
0: Okay, there are two people with... A picture of the Night King as there
1: <laughs> two different actors. Oh well, there are multiple Night King portrayers, right? So,
0: well, I guess I, I've learned I something.
1: So. Yeah. Uh,
0: and one of the other gents in the in the Night King's army, and then just some people who are like really terrible on the show, like just characters that you do not have any sympathy for. And so I'm very curious what their um, what their rates would be. I would imagine the guy who plays uh, young Hodor actually does very well he might be underpricing himself at 20 dollars because i bet that there are a lot of people who are sympathetic to his plight yeah. just to move off of baseball for a hot second
1: yeah i'm gonna guess the game of thrones core cast is well compensated because yeah. there's there's no one you, there's like no dinklage on here like <laughs> no one no one you would really recognize is is on here so I, I think they're probably doing pretty well they don't have to put themselves on cameo
0: Yeah, that's, which, you know, good. That's that's good, that's encouraging. There is a family category on this, which I am, oh, these are people who are family friendly, okay. Oh, Sean Astin is on here for 200 bucks. Buddy, you got that Lord of the Rings money. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to spend, well, I'm going to edit daily prospect notes when we are done, and then I might spend some time on this website. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I have never commissioned a cameo, but I have spent a significant amount of time browsing the options, at least. So, yeah, more baseball players get on here. It's looking really light. So, if you are a notable baseball player, there could be a market inefficiency here because there's like three times as many basketball players. And like seven times as many football players It's just, uh, I don't know if this is a reflection of like baseball not being popular on a national level or or what Whether this is the latest evidence that baseball is dying I'm waiting for like the cranky columnist to to trot out like the underrepresentation of baseball players on Cameo Compared to other major sports as the, the latest sign of the apocalypse But I don't know what it means, but yeah, get on there baseball players
0: I mean there are a lot more football players but some of them are not very good. Jake Butt is on here and he is pricing himself at $25 and that is you you should know your own worth sir. <laughs> People yeah. love that. They love that name. It's hilarious. Um, I'm yeah, there,
1: there aren't more minor leaguers on here just right? like desperately trying to oh, <laughs> to gosh. afford their Terrible. their lifestyle. But uh, maybe it's a reflection of like baseball having guaranteed contracts and maybe and less serious injuries. Uh, maybe they just don't need it. I don't know. But yeah, kind of a a thin group.
0: Very strange. I wonder what the turnaround time on one of these is like how far in advance of a loved one's birthday would you have to plan to get Ryan Healy to say happy birthday?
1: I think it actually says uh, if you click on their page, it it says uh, like if you go to Kevin Pillar, it says typically responds within two days which is wow. uh, it's a funny thing when you think about it, like the, the routine of a major league player and all the other things they have to do. And yet he's finding time within two days to respond to cameo requests. So I guess it's fairly high priority. I, if you're making, like, what is Kevin Plotter making? Like, let's see. His, let's see. his, his salary right now is uh, $5.8 million for this year, and he's earned 10.6 lifetime. And uh, probably has quite a a bit of career earnings ahead of him. So how many cameos do you have to do at 200 a pop before it's even like, is this worth my while?
0: Yeah. I I I don't know. I think it's a fair number.
1: Yeah. I I just... just, uh, I don't know.
0: But I guess it is a way to, you know, in a sport where people don't feel like they are well, known as individuals, perhaps to like, you know, interface with fans in a way that matters. But yeah. I don't know. It seems more money. Yeah. It just seems very like one of the Ryan Healy ones is like, go, uh, I'm Ryan Healy. You should you like use this real estate agent. It's like, who's that for? <laughs> who is, who is like, you know, I wasn't going to do it before. But now that Ryan Healy sitting in a hotel room from the road has told me well, that's that's the guy.
1: Ugh. I don't know. I guess he's well-traveled, so he has probably had to (laughs) rent some rooms in his day. I guess that's
0: true. Although, if you're in the Seattle market, I mean, he is the only Mariner on here, so I guess you take what you can get. Uh, No offense to Your your videos are fine, I suppose. But it just does seem very strange that um, you would say, this is the guy of all the Mariners, (laughs) this one.
1: Well, I guess it's it's he who decided he was the guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's Aww. just, yeah, you Aww. don't really get Felix on there. It's, he's just not available. So He
0: joined in January of this year. So, you know, yeah. He, yeah. he must okay. have had some optimism for his um, how his season was going to go.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. I've got a, a couple last quick ones here picked out. Let's see if we can get through them. I have a question from Connor who says, How much would the game change if baseballs could be bounced into the strike zone? The strike zone stays the same and pitchers can pitch normally but are also able to bounce pitches for strikes. It has always bothered me that batters can still get hit by a pitch on a ball that bounces, so why not also make them worry about pitchers bouncing balls into the strike zone? And this may have been covered at some point on the podcast, but the nice thing about doing this podcast for like almost seven years at this point is that if I don't remember, then (laughs) certainly no one listening does, so we can safely repeat ourselves now
0: oh gosh uh i i think it would be a disaster (laughs) (laughs) i think it would change baseball very fundamentally although i don't know how often pitchers would really be uh, inclined to to do that right do you think that pitchers would do this very often i don't know that they would
1: don't because just think of like mechanically how much of a change it would be it would be kind of cool i guess if there were like if if this were like something that only a couple guys could do, right? then, then I'd enjoy it because it's like, hey, this guy's got his special trick and it's kind of fun to watch him do it. If everyone did it, then it wouldn't be fun because it would probably just make pitchers even better and right. less predictable and more unhittable because it's probably, I mean, I don't know that you can do this consistently because it, it's probably hard to anticipate the bounce and you've got spin and it's unpredictable and how do you go from reliably throwing you know 60 feet to throwing 55 feet sometimes and what does that do to you and so it's probably not worth it but if someone could perfect this like a cricket style delivery Mm -hmm. and and could just seamlessly change between them that'd be fun but only if it were a real outlier
0: Right. I think that if, if that were the case, that it would be delightful. But I think that it would be, I think it would just for a lot of guys just wreak havoc on their uh, on their mechanics. They would just be all out of sorts trying to do this. And then, you know, if it doesn't go the way you want to, if you try to bounce it into the zone and it doesn't work and there are runners on and the ball goes away from the catcher. So I think that the incentives would be pretty powerful not to, to try it. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, yeah. I don't think I like it at all. (laughs) No. I don't like it.
1: Yeah. I only like it as like a trick pitch, like an an Ephus equivalent. But it doesn't bother me. I I don't think it's actually inconsistent that batters can – benefit from a ball that bounces, but pitchers can't benefit from a ball that bounces, because I I think a hit-by-pitch is supposed to be a a disincentive to pitchers hitting guys, and so it makes sense that you would want to protect batters in that way while not rewarding pitchers, because you're rewarding pitchers for their control and command and for being able to place pitches inside the strike zone. And unless they are intentionally bouncing it into the strike zone, then that is not rewarding that at all. So that is kind of okay with me. I don't yeah. I don't think there's any part of me that would want this or that would even expect to see it all no. that often. But I don't know. I, I guess if you threw a pitch just like without spin you could probably do it more consistently and maybe you wouldn't need to throw it with spin because if you could just like skip it into the strike zone, that would just be so surprising and disorienting that even if it bounced straight up and occasionally you will see like someone hit a bounced ball right? and and that's kind of cool, but I'm sure that would be difficult to anticipate. Like on the one hand, the ball would get to the plate a little bit slower, but to go from anticipating pitches on the fly to then having to deal with bounces and not knowing which was coming, that that would be bad. Because if, if you're cricketing, then you know it's gonna bounce. And if you're baseballing, you know it's probably not gonna bounce. And right. going between them, that's that's pretty tough.
0: Yeah, I don't like it. All right. Get it at all.
1: <laughs> Last one, this is from Alex, Patreon supporter He says, I was watching baseball this evening As one is known to do And was thinking about the conversations going on About the pitchers being so good these days And the overall need for an increase in pace of play It struck me, what if the ball were a little heavier? Mind you, I only mean a little bit heavier But seriously, what would the effect be of the ball being heavier? It would make pitchers slower, I imagine. Balls wouldn't fly as far. Presumably, this would also have an impact on fielders and catchers throwing. Also, if MLB decided to make the balls a little heavier, how long do you think it would take for players to notice? And uh, another listener named Johannes asked almost exactly the same thing, except, like, I guess, larger balls instead of heavier balls. So changing the baseball's dimensions to make them bigger or heavier. Would that be good or bad?
0: I think that they would notice right away. Yes. I think pitchers would notice right away. I think they'd adjust pretty quickly, but I think they would notice right away. Mm -hmm. Would it make it better? I don't know. (laughs) Can it make me do physics on the fly?
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. That's... I don't think. I, I mean, yeah, pitchers would hate it. They hate it. Like even if the ball feels a little bit slicker, the seams change in right. some like imperceptible to a normal person way, right. or like the difference between the minor league ball and the major league ball in the past, or the ball in Japan and the ball here. They right. they know that it's it's the tool of their trade. So yeah, they'd notice they would right away. Definitely notice and hate it. And I think if the ball were heavier. I mean, you'd get more stress on pitchers' arms unless they slowed down. You might get more injuries. You might get pitchers throwing slower, which I guess that could help combat strikeouts, especially if the ball is bigger and therefore easier to hit. So it it might help reverse the strikeout increase, but it it could also come at a cost to injuries. The ball wouldn't carry as well if it were bigger. I, I think I recall... From the physics of baseball that the the weight of the ball doesn't matter as much to how far it carries, but the, the, the size, size of The size of it does, does right, because
0: yeah. it's about drag, right? right?
1: Right. So if you had a bigger ball, it would not carry as far. It would be easier to hit. It would probably travel slower. And I guess all of those things would address what some people consider to be problems with baseball, which is too many strikeouts, maybe too many homers. Right. But I think it would probably cause pitchers to hurt themselves. And I think I'd probably prefer just deadening the ball right. because there's a lot of precedent for that. And if you deadened the ball, it wouldn't necessarily be easier to hit, but it would give hitters greater incentive to make contact and maybe change their swings in such a way that they would prioritize contact because the ball wouldn't travel as far when you put it in the air. So. Right. That might lead to the effects that you want to see without being quite so heavy-handed. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I tend to be in favor of adjustments that are, I mean, I should say that I'm going to say that I'm in favor of small adjustments. It's not like the ju- adjustments that have adjustment implies intent. The changes to the ball over <laughs> nice. the last couple of years have been super significant. And they've had pretty large impact, so it's not as if um, you have to like make it weigh 10 pounds for it to suddenly change the game. But I, I tend to think that um, small changes... To equipment and rules are preferable because then it allows the evolution of the game to be driven by player skill and and strategy rather than by you know making the ball livelier or what what have you. So I yeah. don't I don't like this one either. Mm-hmm. If you opposed. <laughs>
1: Vote yeah. nay. Yeah, same. All right. I guess we can wrap it up there. So I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. So after we finished recording, Jacob Rehm was suspended two games for headhunting. Reese Hoskins was not suspended any games for having a really slow home run shot. So now we know lollygagging around the bases, not punishable. Throwing baseballs near guys' heads, lightly punishable. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going. Alex Goodwin, Jamie Herbst, Kevin Schlock, Corey Gowan, and David Tate. Thanks to all of you. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com group effectivelywild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Please replenish our mailbag. Keep your questions coming via email to podcast at or via the Patreon messaging system. Megan, Sam, and I will see them. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. Dylan is crashing on my couch right now, so it sounds strange to thank him. while well, he is a house guest, but he is editing nonetheless. You can pre-order my book, The MVP Machine, which comes out in less than six weeks now. As mentioned last time, Travis Sachik and I are offering some pre-order bonuses to people who put their orders in before the book comes out. We're gonna be sending out a bonus chapter, an exclusive conversation between me and Travis about the reporting and writing of the book, and some other goodies that we accumulated during the reporting process. So if you want to get on on that, pre-order the book and email your order confirmation or a screenshot of the receipt or a picture of the receipt if you bought it in person to the MVP machine. Machine at gmail.com. That is the MVP machine at gmail.com, and you will receive all of those extras when the book comes out on June 4th. So we'll be back with one more episode this week. Talk to you soon.
0: Welcome to my... I messed it up already. <laughs> <laughs> what do we say?
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
0: Just freestyle. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 1367 of Effectively Wild, a baseball co- podcast. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> podcast. Podcast.
0: Mm. It's a podcast, not a <laughs> cod-past. What, what would that even be? <sighs> <laughs> the man who was grumpy about us laughing is going to be furious.
1: <laughs> Take three. <sighs>